Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries, and today's Urban Legends number 9 episode, Superstitions and Folklore. In addition to being a great song from Creedence Clearwater, Bad Moon Rising, written by John Fogarty in 1968, has a follow-up to Proud Mary, and inspired, by the way, by the classic short story, The Devil and Daniel Webster. The bad moon rising, according to Fogarty, was a sign of impending doom, the doom he was sure the band would be experiencing if he didn't come up with another hit. Well, the song made number one in the UK and number two in the US that summer, and CCR was off and running. So it's only natural that we would start with moon superstitions, and there are quite a few. The moon plays a big role in superstitions and folklore. Imagine how early civilizations were affected by lunar eclipses. Something evil had to be going on to make the moon slowly disappear, so all kinds of sacred rites had to be performed to bring it back. And no matter what they did, or how many virgins they sacrificed, it always worked, which kept witch doctors and shamans in business for centuries. The name Blood Moon gathered a lot of attention back in 2014-2015 when there was a lunar tetrad. That was a rare occurrence of four consecutive total lunar eclipses occurring at approximately six-month intervals. Some organizations attached religious significance to this astronomical event, suggesting that it was a sign of the end of times. The term blood moon was attributed to statements in the Bible. For example, statements in the Acts of the Apostles 2.20 read, the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and terrible day. The blood moon is also featured in the Revelation to John in passage 6, 12, which states, When he had opened the sixth seal, there was a violent earthquake and the sun went as black as sackcloth. The moon turned red as blood all over. And here are some superstitions connected with the moon. It's unlucky to see a new moon through closed windows or through the branches of a tree. A robbery committed on the third day of the new moon will fail. If you become ill on the eighth day of a new moon, you will die. If the rays of the new moon fall on your face while you're sleeping, you'll go crazy. The best marriages fall on the new moon or a few days before. A child born at a full moon will be strong. A ring around the moon means rain or snow. Things used to get very crazy in lunatic asylums during a full moon. And why not? The word lunatic is derived from the Latin word luna, meaning moon. Easter is the first Sunday after the full moon after March 21st. And millions of Christians celebrate Easter today to worship Christ's resurrection from death. Before Christianity, the Romans celebrated the arrival of spring and the goddess of spring, who was given the name Easter, E-A-S-T-R-E. In legend, Easter opened the gates of Valhalla for the slain sun god Baldur, thus bringing light to mankind. Some old beliefs are attached to Easter. The sun will dance as it rises on Easter Sunday. It's good luck to wear new clothes on Easter Sunday in honor of nature's new green clothes. The Easter lily, which became popular in the U.S. in the late 1800s, is a symbol of purity. 
The eating of ham on Easter Sunday is said to have survived from an old English tradition of spiting the Jews, who do not believe in Christ's resurrection. If it rains on Easter Sunday, it'll rain for the next seven Sundays. Easter eggs come from an old Germanic custom that honored the goddess Easter, and she considered the rabbit sacred. It was believed that on Easter Eve, the hare would lay eggs for all good children. Egg rolling contests have been a popular children's Easter game for centuries. The last child to break his or her egg will have good luck for the remainder of the year. Do you believe in beginner's luck? If you've ever played poker and invited a new player to the table, you have undoubtedly witnessed nights where the newcomers were treated very kindly by Lady Luck, regardless of their skill level. Skeptics will tell you that there is no such thing as beginner's luck and that you need to check your confirmation bias, which is the natural tendency to find facts that support your theory while ignoring the data that works against it. But still, there's something to it, and it can apply to lots of different human endeavors, from sports to games to activities. In Bret Hart's The Luck of Roaring Camp, one of our short stories at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, he wrote, Luck is a mighty queer thing. All we know about it for certain is that it's bound to change. Truer words were never said. When you see a penny on the ground, do you stoop to pick it up? Or maybe only if it's heads up? Or just keep walking? Actually, finding a penny has long meant more pennies to follow. A jar of pennies in the kitchen means good luck. And if a bridegroom gives the bride a coin, especially a sixpence, to wear in her shoe, that means good luck and a good marriage. In Great Britain, the bride traditionally wears something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. But what is less well known is that the rhyme ends with and a silver sixpence in her shoe. For many years, the father of the bride would slip a sixpence into his daughter's shoe before she walked down the aisle. The sixpence stood for good luck and to show that the father wished his daughter prosperity in her marriage. We'll return to our show right after this message from our sponsors. Ever spill salt? Yikes! Bad luck! Better throw some salt over your left shoulder, and fast. Why? Because bad spirits hang out over your left shoulder, and good ones over your right. Tossing the salt over your left shoulder blinds those old devils, if you believe in old superstitions. All humans need salt, and historically, it wasn't easy to come by. Although it exists in small quantities in natural foods, it still needs to be mined. And that, for centuries, made salt an expensive commodity. The Romans, having run out of coinage and still needing to pay their armies, would, at times, use salt. And that's how the old expression, he's worth his salt, came to be. Another common saying, I'll take that with a grain of salt, comes from Pliny the Elder, who lived in the years around Jesus' time, who suggested that a grain of salt taken regularly with a tiny bit of poison could minimize the effect of the poison while helping to build an immunity to that poison, a theory which, minus the salt, led to an early vaccination for smallpox. Pliny the Elder was an author and naturalist who gave us literally an encyclopedia of life, nature, artists, 
personalities, geology, and pre-Roman history, as well as the history of his time. Look him up sometime, and you'll be amazed at the legacy he left us. He died in 79 A.D., attempting in his boat to rescue friends from Mount Vesuvius, one of the deadliest volcano eruptions in history. One last note, in Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting, The Last Supper, Judas is seen accidentally spilling his salt. You can see it just under the top of his shirt. And things didn't work out too well for Judas, which tells us this superstition has been around for a long time. You don't run into many people these days who carry a rabbit's foot for good luck. That pretty much went out of style about 50 years ago. It used to be that you could buy one, or a facsimile of one, at the Five and Dime store. And it had a silver cap on the heel end, which was attached to a short chain and a key ring. But go back to pre-World War II days in the South, and those were real rabbit's feet attached to that chain. The left hind foot of a rabbit, to be exact. The rabbit's foot superstition was considered hoodoo, a part of African culture brought over with the slaves, and it was considered a strong talisman that could fend off evil. Burmashave, which became famous by posting road signs a few miles apart on long, boring highways in states like Iowa and Nebraska, where the scenery, especially non-stop cornfields, never changed, and people couldn't wait to decipher the Burmashave messages, was known to use this message each line of which was separated by a few miles. The first sign would read, On curves ahead, and a few miles later, Remember, Sonny, followed by, That rabbit's foot? Didn't save the bunny. Burma shave. It was very effective advertising and became a legend in its own time. Ever heard the expression hocus-pocus? It means trickery, flim-flam. Now you see it, now you don't. A lot like the auto prices on TV that seem to promise you a great deal until you get to the dealership and discover the small print. Early in the 17th century, magicians, conjurers, and even jugglers went by the name hocus-pocus, that name having been popularized in the 1656 Thomas McKady book a treatise concerning the nature of witches, in which he described a trickster named Hocus Pocus, who lived during King James' time. And that trickster would utter the words Hocus Pocus, Tonus Talanus, Vater Celeriter Jubio. And while his audience was trying to figure out what the hell these words meant, old Hocus Pocus would pull a rabbit out of his hat or make their money disappear, depending on what kind of show it was. Well, the words stuck, but people shortened it to make it even easier to say. We know it as hoax. Be careful with that mirror. According to folklore, breaking a mirror is a surefire way to doom yourself to seven years of bad luck. The superstition seems to arise from the belief that mirrors don't just reflect your image. They hold bits of your soul. That belief led people in the old days of the American South to cover mirrors in a house when someone died, lest their soul be trapped inside. Seven years is a long time to be unlucky, which may be why people have come up with countermeasures to free themselves after breaking a mirror. These include 
touching a piece of the broken mirror to a tombstone, or grinding the mirror shards into powder. But there are worse things that can happen with mirrors. For example, the Bloody Mary ritual. Historically, the mirror divination ritual encouraged young women to walk up a flight of stairs backward holding a candle and a hand mirror in a darkened house. No wonder there were so many fires back in those days. As they gazed into the mirror, they were supposed to be able to catch a view of their future husband's face. There was, however, a chance that they would see a skull or the face of the grim reaper instead, indicating that they were going to die before they'd have a chance to marry. In the ritual of today, Bloody Mary allegedly appears to individuals or groups who ritualistically invoke her name in an act of catoptromancy. Who comes up with these words? This is done by repeatedly chanting her name into a mirror placed in a dimly lit or candlelit room. In some traditions, the name must be repeated 13 times, or some other specified number of times. A Bloody Mary apparition allegedly appears as a corpse, witch, or ghost. It can be friendly or evil, and is sometimes seen covered in blood. The lore surrounding the ritual states that participants may endure the apparition screaming at them, cursing them, strangling them, stealing their soul, drinking their blood, or scratching their eyes out. Sounds like a fun Friday night. Some variations of the ritual call Bloody Mary by a different name. Hail Mary and Mary Worth are popular examples. The modern legend of Hanako-san in Japan strongly parallels the Bloody Mary mythology. And by the way, if you're standing and staring into a candlelit mirror long enough, you will start hallucinating, seeing your image change. And that's never good. We've all heard the phrase, knock on wood. This phrase is almost like a verbal talisman designed to ward off bad luck after tempting fate. You might say, breaking that mirror won't bring me any trouble. Knock on wood. Or, I'm feeling better than ever. Knock on wood. Millions of people habitually use the phrase, knock on wood, when some good fortune has occurred, or when we're taking stock of the good things that have happened to us. This is to prevent the evil spirits from taking your luck away. Many believe the practice of knocking on wood or touching wood goes far back to pre-Christian times. During pagan times, people firmly believed in and worshipped tree spirits. The concept that trees had magical powers was commonly acknowledged. In ancient Greece, the dryads, spelled D-R-Y-A-D-S, or spirits of the trees, could heal the sick and give blessings of good fortune. Treated badly, the dryads could also put an end to your happiness. The notion that nymphs, spirits, gods, and goddesses reside in trees had a deep impact on humans. Trees were thereby treated with respect and honored, and this ancient love for trees was the recurring theme in J.R. Tolkien's trilogy, The Hobbit, when the trees, if memory serves me right, I think they called them the Ents, helped to save Middle-earth. You always wanted to be on good terms with the dryads. Some would also go to a sacred tree and whisper their hopes, dreams, and secrets to the tree. Before doing so, they would knock on the tree. They believed that evil spirits could not hear their secret wishes if they knocked on the tree first. Same story with the Druids, an ancient wizard sect that inhabited Great Britain. With the Druids, the oak trees were sacred, 
and had great powers of healing and life. The Druids held their meetings in oak groves, which they believed held the key to wisdom and long life. In fact, the word Druid means knower of oak trees. Ever break a wishbone after that Thanksgiving dinner? Although Thanksgiving is a North American holiday and a recent invention in the grand scheme of things, the tradition of breaking the wishbone comes from Europe, and it's thousands of years older. A bird's wishbone is technically known as the furcula. It's formed by the fusion of two clavicles, and it's important to flight because of its elasticity and the tendons that attach to it. Clavicles, fused or not, aren't unique to birds. You and I have unfused clavicles, also known as collarbones, and wishbones have been found in most branches of the dinosaur family tree. The custom of snapping these bones in two after dinner came to us from the English, who got it from the Romans, who got it from the Etruscans, an ancient Italian civilization. As far as historians and archaeologists can tell, the Etruscans were really into their chickens and believed that those birds were oracles and could predict the future. They exploited the chicken's supposed gifts by turning them into walking Ouija boards with a bizarre ritual known as electriomancy, or rooster divination. They would draw a circle on the ground and divide it into wedges representing the letters of the Etruscan alphabet, which played a role in the formation of our own, by the way. Bits of food were scattered on each wedge, and a chicken was placed in the center of the circle. As the birds snacked, Scribes would note the sequence of letters that it pecked at, and the local priest would use the resulting messages to divine the future and answer the city's most pressing questions. This is not to be confused with Cow Bingo, which is an American fundraising game where a cow's area is marked with squares. You buy a square, and you win if the cow takes a dump on that square. Bring coffee and a chair for that game, by the way. It can be a long wait. Getting back to our Etruscan chickens... When a chicken was killed, the furcula was laid out in the sun to dry so that it could be preserved and so that people would still have access to the oracle's power even after eating it. People would pick up the bone, stroke it, and make wishes on it, hence its modern name, the wishbone. As Roman civilization replaced the Etruscan civilization, they adopted some of their customs, including chicken divination and making wishes on the furcula. According to legend, the Romans went from merely petting the bones to breaking them because of supply and demand and because Romans liked to break things. Anyway, as the Romans traipsed around Europe for 400 years, they left their cultural mark and long noses in many different places, including the British Isles. People living in England at the time adopted the wishbone custom and it eventually came to the New World with English settlers who began using the turkey wishbone as well as the chickens. And there are even superstitions about clothes of all things. I'm fairly sure this information comes from a circa 1915 ladies magazine. Maybe McCall's. McCall's was big back then. Here it begins. If you put on a piece of clothing inside out by accident, it could be your lucky day. You may not notice your mistake before bedtime. My wife will never forget the evening that we got home after a cocktail party and my mentioning to her as we entered our home late that evening that the collar tag on her blouse top was showing. Indeed, she checked and her entire blouse was inside out, stitches, hems, and all. I have forgotten whether that event held any luck for her. However, I had no luck with her for the following week or so. 
I couldn't find the right answer to the question she would constantly ask me. How could you not have noticed this all evening? The advice to those who discover that their clothing is inside out is, if someone points out your mistake, just smile and be happy. This certainly didn't go down that way. The advice continues, do not correct your mistake. If you take your clothing off and put it on correctly, your good luck will be gone. The same applies to socks. Putting on socks inside out without intention is good luck. You must wear them inside out all day, though, to keep your luck. Then there are all those buttons on your clothes. It's time to check your clothes. Having an odd number of buttons on your garments is believed to bring you special luck. If your garment has an even number of buttons, all you need to do is sew an extra button on it. So, who sews anymore? Giving and receiving buttons has always been considered lucky. It symbolizes a long and strong friendship. And ask yourself, who wouldn't appreciate the gift of a button? And maybe some spare thread to go with it. The article continues, If you find a button by chance, be sure to pick it up and keep it. The best place to keep a found button is in your pocket. That button is a good luck token. A jar full of buttons is also believed to be good luck. Your next hobby may just become collecting buttons. Put a coin in the pocket of any new clothes you purchase before wearing them for the first time. The coin should never be spent. Keeping a lucky coin in your pocket is considered very lucky. Until you run out of luck. And my favorite, wear clothes with polka dots. This is an old superstition found in many places around the world. Wearing clothes with polka dots is said to attract wealth. The small round shapes resemble an overflow of coins coming into your life. Women who feel the urge to attract more money need to choose to wear clothing with polka dots. This seemed to work for Sophia Loren on the Riviera as she wore polka dot bathing suits and guys with money were always seen with her. The article continues. This works for men equally as well. Men should include polka dots in their wardrobe to attract wealth. You could also try accessories with polka dots like bow ties. An accordion playing goes well with polka dots. Some people just are not into polka dots. They may go for other clothing containing some sort of lucky symbol, like horseshoes or palm trees. Choose clothes or accessories that remind you of your wishes and dreams. Try to find your lucky clothes that will keep your dreams alive and remind you about them every time you wear them. This might just work wonders. For example, if you dream of traveling abroad, choose clothes or accessories with map images all over them. Or better yet, wear something blue. Many believe blue is the lucky color to attract success. Blue is the color of the sky and the heavens. Wearing blue symbolizes looking up towards endless possibilities. We all know a traditional bride should wear something blue for luck. Then there's the belt superstition. Wearing a belt wrapped around your body will protect you from sorcery. The wearing of chastity belts was popular centuries ago to protect young maidens from pesky young men. But be careful where you throw an old and worn out belt away. You need to make sure a witch never gets her hands on your belt. This is an old superstition, and we suspect most people do not follow this belief anymore. Then there are socks with holes. If you discover you're wearing a sock or stockings with a hole, count yourself lucky. 
You may have good luck for the remainder of the day. Do not wear the sock or stockings with the hole a second day, especially if you do it intentionally. That will bring bad luck. Purchase some new socks. If you can't purchase new socks or make your own, you're shit out of luck. Join a hobo camp and you'll feel right at home. Giving away your old clothes. Giving away clothes you do not use anymore is a good deed. There is one exception to this rule, however. Never give your old clothes to old people or very sick people, especially in today's climate of contagious flus. That will only bring you and them very bad luck. Of course, you think, come on now. If anyone deserves some new clothes, it certainly would be the elderly and the sick. Anything that makes them feel loved and valued is absolutely worth it. This is when you want to brighten up their day. Giving them old clothes will not do the trick. Go and find them and insist on doing a good deed for them. Or just hand them a hundred dollar bill. And they'll go and find their own good luck. Shoe superstitions. If your shoelaces keep coming untied, even though you tied your shoe as you normally do, you need to keep checking your mailbox. Good news will be arriving soon, mostly by mail. Make sure you do not trip over your laces on the way to the mailbox, however, as that may bring you bad luck. Never place shoes on a table or on a bed. It's very bad luck. You can expect to get involved in a bad quarrel should you do that. Another more practical side to the matter is, of course, that putting your shoes on the table is very unhygienic. Just think of what your shoes may have stepped on outside. If your lover gives you a pair of shoes, your future together may not seem too bright. According to superstition, it means he or she wishes you to walk away. You need to really try to rescue your relationship or just walk away. Another version of this superstition is that if you receive a pair of shoes, you must immediately give a coin back to the person who gifted you the shoes. If you do not give a coin, one of you will soon walk away from that relationship. If the coin you give isn't worth much, they may still walk away. And once in your lifetime, you need to donate a pair of shoes to a needy person. An old saying says, if you don't, you'll go barefoot in your next life. So folks, it's high time to donate those shoes you never wore to a homeless shelter. We hope you enjoyed this urban legends version of Superstitions and Folklore. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. You know what really, really helps us? Encourage some people you know, family, friends, work associates, to subscribe to our show. New subscribers to our show count the highest in terms of lifting our rankings. What also helps is your reviews. Here's a few recent reviews to inspire you. The first one, five stars. Very well researched and objective. I just found this podcast based on the Bridie Murphy topic. It was fantastic to hear a well-researched and objective version of the story without the skeptical predilection to to begin with the non-belief and refuse to list any evidence that isn't consistent with that viewpoint. This talked about both sides, rather than simply choosing to discard actual evidence. Down from Jake, 1931, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, good storytelling, five stars. It's like someone gave my grandpa a podcast. 
Stories about monsters, aliens, heroes, and World War II. Clunky format, abrupt ads, and odd editing choices only seem to add to the charm. Down from Randy Four, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, five stars, amazing. I've listened to every episode. I eagerly await new episodes every Sunday. The attention to detail is incredible. The host's voice is soothing and makes learning fun. Ever amused, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you so much for taking the extra time to write these reviews. We appreciate it very much. Please do check out our new short story show, 1001 Greatest Love Stories. It's available wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed, along with 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales and 1001 Stories for the Road, our long-format classic story show, where we're just finishing up the incredible story, The Lost World by Arthur Conan Doyle. You don't want to miss that one. It's a great story. Everyone, stay safe. We'll be back next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. And we'll be back soon.